0: From Flourish DX, this is the Psych, Health, and Safety Canada podcast. With workplace mental health becoming a priority for businesses who want to retain
1: staff and prevent burnout, this is the source of information for creating sustainable and psychologically healthy workplaces in Canada.
0: Welcome to Psych Health and Safety in Canada podcast and today I have the pleasure of welcoming Matthew Megson. Matthew is an expert in accommodation. He is an HR professional and he is a speaker on these subjects about disability. He's an advocate for persons with disability and so today we're going to talk about psychological safety but from the perspective of persons with disability. So welcome Matthew.
1: Thank you Marianne. Wonderful to be here.
0: Great. I'm wondering if we can start off with you describing your journey so far and and how you ended up doing the work that you do.
1: Sure. Um, So I've spent uh, the last 18 years as a uh, an HR generalist and I've worked for small, medium, large organizations throughout my career, and at every stop, I've dealt with return to work or accommodations uh, in facilitating those, and I got to the point where I decided um, I wanted to try something new, and I live with bipolar disorder, and I wanted to be able to do something where I could contribute to the mental health community in some way, shape or form. And that led me to uh, decide to start Accommodation Analyzed where I can focus on helping organizations with their accommodation strategies, with their return to work programs. And I feel like that'll give me an opportunity to educate organizations, you know, specifically on the mental health piece Uh, As well as doing some physical health things, but I feel like this will allow me to really give back to the mental health community uh, as well, because I can really help hopefully make uh, accommodations easier for both organizations and individuals that need those mental health accommodations.
0: Uh, Yeah, that's great. Now, we know that if we build ramps, have larger doors, have um, ergonomic seats, it benefits everybody. So yes, Hmm. we do it to accommodate persons with disabilities, but it benefits all of us. And I think the same is true for when we look at ways to make it easier for persons with a diagnosis of a mental illness to be successful at work. So can you share some of your tips for what you would suggest that employers do on that larger scale?
1: Yes, uh, for me, I would suggest that one of the things and I would say that uh, this is kind of foundational for anybody even dealing with someone that has a, a physical disability, let alone a psychological one. But in, in all cases, better engagement with employees. And when I say that, I mean, you know, facilitating conversations with them, listening to, listening to what they have to say. I feel like a lot of workplaces these days, and I was one of them, uh, rely too much on what the doctors have to say. And they they lean towards uh, just get this functional abilities form filled out. Half the time, the functional abilities forms don't really include anything for someone with a mental illness. So the doctor is confused as to what to fill out and you end up getting something vague back. And I really, truly feel that if more, uh, individuals at organizations really focused on engaging with that person, you're going to get more information out of them than you ever would out of a doctor. If they feel like they can trust you and that they can be comfortable with you, they're going to share, this is what I'm struggling with. And, uh, if, if you just rely on the doctor's note, I feel like that's when you're, they're going to probably say to the doctor, I don't know what to tell them. And that's where you're going to get the the vague note. Now, some of my tips with what I've learned over the years dealing with my disorder um, around engagement are to really take engagement seriously. When when somebody tells you, this is a trigger for me, really listen to it. And to give you an example, uh, I had an accommodation request once where I realized that for me, I had a manager that, love to communicate through email, and it didn't matter what the topic was, didn't matter what the discussion was, this person preferred to use email, and I found that some of the more, I would say, serious conversations or maybe the more tense conversations, this person would share that in an email, and that was a huge trigger for me. So I had to, and mainly because I couldn't do anything about it right then and there, and it gave me too much time to think about a response. So it was a massive anxiety trigger for me. So I had to go to them and say, you know, please, if, if it's going to be a bit of a tougher conversation, no emails, you have to call me and we can discuss it because then I can process it right then and there. And I don't have time to think about my response. Which is great,
0: but you may be unusual, um, Matthew, in that you have the insight, you have the knowledge, and you are able to advocate for yourself and ask. You could connect the trigger um, rather than just saying, this boss is out to get me. No, the emails are the trigger, and so he needs to change his behavior. But what do you say to... um, a manager who is afraid to come and speak to somebody with a mental illness. They're, they're not comfortable with that. And so the idea of engaging the employee, um, is really uncomfortable.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, I would suggest to that manager that, They really, I recognize that it it certainly could be an uncomfortable, but if you take the approach, so many organizations out there will, will tell you that their, their people are first, the people are their most important asset. And if you live by that mantra, and if you're a manager, if you, if you really do kind of take that seriously, um, to me, I know a mental illness is the, is the unknown. Uh, we don't know as much about them as we do, say, a broken leg and what, what to expect with with that kind of, of injury. But I would suggest to a manager that's afraid uh, or concerned about approaching someone that has expressed having some sort of uh, mental illness, that you approach it from the, from the compassionate point of view. Uh, because oftentimes when we, when we think of, um, somebody with say a broken leg, we've all had some kind of physical injury at some point in our life. And so we can imagine what the pain feels like with that physical injury, but not everybody can imagine what it's like to have uh, a severe depressive episode, so my suggestion to that manager is to really take a compassionate view and allow the employee to feel comfortable speaking about what is going on with them, should they choose to share it, um, and make it an open conversation. And I'd be upfront with the employee and say, you know, I'm I'm really not sure what to say here because I don't know. How to approach this that's okay they're going to uh th- the employee will will be okay with that and they'll 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 kind of lead the discussion uh and and share what they need to share so but as a manager you need to be open to having that discussion
0: hmm and another fear that they have, just by the way, Matthew, I completely agree with you and have for years about the approach that you're taking, but I'm going to play devil's advocate for mm-hmm. to to bring out some more. So there's managers who are um, afraid that the employee will ask for the sun, the moon and the stars oh, yes. them, and they say, no, they're going to get the more upset.
1: Mm-hmm. And you also you also get I I've seen this a lot, um, the the typical response that I've seen when when somebody reports that they they need to be off due to a mental illness, uh, unfortunately I see this from a lot of senior leaders is, oh well this this person may not want to work, uh, so yeah I I get what you're saying and. I think that's where again there needs to be a bit of a shift in focus. So, for instance, if I had a manager ask me that question and say, "You know, I'm not really, uh, I'm not really sure. I'm afraid that they're going to ask for, like you said, the sun, the moon, the stars, and then I'm afraid if I give it to them that everybody's going to ask for that." That's something else I hear a lot of, and I would say to that manager that the uh, the best thing to do is to really uh, focus on the value that that staff member brings. Not so much the accommodation that they're asking for, but how can you, how can you still use their strengths to, to get things done? And that may result in you needing to have a larger conversation with other members of your department And to give you an example of that, I mean, how often do we hear stories about um, staff member hurts their arm or something, for instance, and they can't lift anything and they come back and somebody else in the department is just told, you know, if this person needs to lift anything, you're doing it. And I think same thing with mental health and somebody that's either at work or coming back to work. You need to have sometimes a bigger discussion with the with the department as a whole to say okay these are the restrictions we've been given because restrictions aren't uh you know you can ask the the person can we share your restrictions with with the other individuals in the department so we can come up with a a good plan and you can look at those restrictions and look at what you know that person is strong at And try and rearrange, if you need to, rearrange your department a bit to focus on those strengths. Be flexible. uh, And instead of just focusing on what that person was doing pre-issue, focus on how can you rearrange things to get the best out of everybody with the new situation you've been presented with.
0: Um, Just thinking about... Um, from that's the manager's perspective, what they're afraid of. You've talked about what the value is that you can really support somebody to leverage their strengths because the cost of recruiting and hiring and training someone oh. else is, is quite high. What mm-hmm. about looking at it from the perspective of the individual um, with a mental health issue? It, can you describe what it feels like Um, to be well accommodated so that you can be productive and any stories that you have of people who you know were maybe going through something but they were able to stay at work because of an accommodation.
1: Sure so what it feels like to be accommodated from, from my perspective is that you can feel if you if you have so for instance for myself if if I can feel like I can talk openly about here's how I'm doing today so uh, as an example for me to be able to share with other leaders maybe we're going into a meeting and I'm uh, and I'm dealing with a depressive episode or an irritability episode or even a manic episode because all, all three of those look very different and they can be different each time I have them. So to be able to feel comfortable to say to those, those managers we're going into a meeting and I can say to them here's how I'm feeling today. I might need you to step in and take over this part Here's what to look for if I need you to do that. So to be able to have that comfort level that you can honestly speak about how you are feeling, how you're doing that day and know that that person is listening and they're they're honestly wanting to, to do what they can do to make it easier for you. That's what I feel uh, a good accommodation feeling would be from my perspective. And what was the second part of that question? Sorry.
0: No, I, I just I just want to pick up on what you were saying here, though, Matthew. Is that the the point is that if we can be transparent, if we can be open and honest about it, then nobody gets blindsided. Not That's the right. individual with the mental illness, not the employer, not the clients, not that because you're able to say this is where I'm at today. And we can often mitigate any risk from that because mm-hmm. we're able to talk about it. It it's, seems to me that when you have to hide it, when you can't talk about it, when they don't want to listen to it, that it
1: becomes
0: a much bigger issue than it needs to be.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: So, and in terms of when you're not well accommodated can you speak a little bit about that experience and how it exacerbates the illness itself
1: yeah so i've been in that i've been in that situation myself and it is it is difficult it is it is difficult so uh, i've had a few instances where i've where i've asked for Uh, accommodation and I'll give you a couple of stories here so I mean there was the one with the emails and uh, that was that was difficult to to deal with uh, because it was such a trigger I've also had one time in my career early in my career when I first was starting to have issues with mental illness uh, what was tough was I wanted to be at work and my manager at the time still kind of had that focus of, I have this job that I need to get done, which I can't, I can't blame them. They have a job that they need to get done. But I was insistent that given my current mental state, I can't be sitting at home right now. I need to have, I need work to, to keep me occupied while I work through this. And we kind of hit, hit the point where one day he just said to me, uh, you're just not performing where I need. So here's here's disability paperwork, you're off. And that was tough for me because I really wanted to be producing at whatever capacity I could produce at. It, for me, that was better than, than being off at home. And I think a lot of people that... Are suffering from some kind of mental illness feel the same way but they probably feel like if I ask for this I'm not going to get it or or if I'm not performing at a hundred percent am I am I going to get uh the support that I need and and it's it can be difficult at times
0: so put on your HR hat now and from an employer's standpoint, if you're able to do 60% of the work, how do they finance the other 40%? What are they doing in order to manage?
1: Uh, the employer, what's the employer doing to manage? So to me, that's where I look at my my the point I made earlier about don't just focus on the one person and the one person's job that they, that they were doing pre-issue. Because maybe it's the case of somebody else in the department, maybe we can switch a little bit for for the time being as an accommodation. We can take some of these roles from this person and give them to the person that uh, is only able to do 60% of their job, but they could do a little bit more. So for instance, to give you an example on that, if I was looking at myself, when I'm having a bad depressive episode, I can still put on the mask and I could do a meeting such as this. I could give a talk. I can can get myself to do those things uh, very well. But if you said to me, I need a report written and I gotta have it by tomorrow, there's no way I can do that. I cannot focus on doing an administrative task when I'm having a depressive episode. So my argument would be, is there is there some temporary solution that we can do where I can give those administrative tasks to somebody else and take some things off their plate that I can handle to fill that bucket so that it's not 40% of my day is missing. It's, it's much less than that.
0: Yeah, I wanna share a story with you, Matthew. I had a small business. And one of my staff um, was having panic attacks, and they were, were their anxiety was heightened by the fear of having a panic attack in front of a client. But client mm-hmm. work was part of the deal. And I had another employee um, who had bipolar and was going through an episode where they were having trouble focusing, especially on complex files, but they were great face-to-face. And exactly the situation that you described is the person who was having panic attacks took on the really complex detail work. And the person who was having a bipolar episode took on the face-to-face client work. Neither one of them took a day off. There was no loss of productivity at all. And these were two people with um, a diagnosis of a mental illness, but it's that creativity that you just described. I had another situation with a um, receptionist who just got back to work after having a very serious episode of depression. And I got called in because she was crying at her desk, which doesn't look that good when people come in and they see the receptionist crying. Um, And to make this long story short what she ended up doing was offering to do filing not that we have a lot of that anymore but at that time to do filing for whoever would come and cover the desk but ironically once she put this in place she got better quite quickly and she didn't need it but the people who were trading off with her hated filing and they'd say don't you need a good cry couldn't you come down and do this (laughs) so it, it you know I I absolutely um support what you're saying that we can be more creative it's not you can do your job or you can't but what can you do how could you do it what else could you take on if somebody took on some of your stuff and uh yeah so those are, are great ideas and tips. Do you have any other strategies that maybe can be more preventive rather than focused on an individual, but to deal with mental health and well-being um, on, on a more preventative basis in, in a workplace?
1: So one of, the, uh, one of the things that I that I do like to stress when I'm talking to to clients, I already spoke about the engagement piece, but one of the other core things that very, very few organizations do is educate their employees. So if their employee knows how the system, so let's say they know ahead of time, does their does their employer have a short-term disability program? Uh, or or are you using EI sick benefits if you have to go off? How, how does each of those programs look? What, what do you need to provide? And I think that that is something that every employer should do with all of their employees when they come on board. Because especially when you are dealing with uh, a mental illness and you're trying to navigate how do I get some income? I can't work right now, but how do I get some income? And that just adds to the stress. Whereas at least if you knew ahead of time, oh yeah, that's right. I had this, this conversation when I started. I, I contact these people and this is what I do. I know that this is what it looks like. They're going to need this kind of medical from me and really lay it out for your staff. That could make everybody's life easier especially if especially if it's going to be because we do know that WSIB allows psychological health and safety claims so what does what does that look like if if that comes about for both the employer and the employee does the employee understand the ramifications and I find a lot of times, when we're talking return to work, most employees, if it's a WSIB claim, they have no idea what to expect. And so they start getting communications from WSIB and they don't know what's going on. And and that could be the same for a, a psychological health and safety claim. And when we talk about return to work and say WSIB, the other thing I found too, is that employees don't realize the cost to employers for the time that the employee is off. So they just think that their employer is being terrible by trying to push them back to work so fast instead of understanding the consequences to the employer. So I think in a roundabout, long long story short way, more education for staff on what supports are available, especially in the case of mental, mental illness because it is becoming so much more prevalent.
0: Yeah, and what would you say to the employer who says, well, if I tell them about the benefits, everybody'll have a mental illness.
1: Well, I would say, uh, cite the case. Uh, you know we you can't assume that that's going to happen for everybody. everybody is everybody's different. And we need to uh, we need to look at that. And I'm sure that you could look at other policies that they've rolled out in the past and said, well, if I do this, this is gonna cause a problem, specifically government mandated ones. And it's happened and there hasn't been a problem with it. And it's because most people don't wanna take advantage of the system. You get you get that, that small 1%, but most people are going to say, oh, okay, you rolled that out, that's great. Thanks for letting me know. And they're gonna go about their day. So I don't think that it's a case of it's going to happen to everybody, but I do hear that a lot.
0: Yeah. Do you know what I always wonder is if all your staff want to call in sick, what's going on in the workplace? Because I, I think that most people want to have meaning and purpose in their life. And if it's a workplace where you feel that what you do matters, you feel that who you are matters, you feel that there's support there, um, we don't want to call in sick. We don't want to pretend we have an illness that we don't have. But if it's a workplace where we feel disengaged, where we don't feel um, part of a community, part of something, then yeah, maybe. But yeah, I always think the uh, leaders or employers who say, well, everybody's taking advantage. Well, what, what's going on that they don't want to be there? Um,
1: to give you a follow-up on that point that you just made, um, I recently did an article that says, you know, those vague doctor's notes that employers get, you know, totally disabled, you can learn a lot from those. And one of the things that I, I believe you can learn from that is your employee is not comfortable sharing anything with you they don't they don't trust you as an employer and so they've said to their doctor I, I don't want to tell them anything I don't know what to tell them that'll be okay and that's where you end up getting the those types of letters that trust just isn't there
0: well and as you said you were talking about WSIB which is workers compensation is that if we don't have any idea what the process is Then when we get a letter saying you're declined because you didn't produce this, I think it's human nature to think they don't believe me. They don't believe I'm sick. But the reality is it's a process and you have to produce the evidence that's required Mm -hmm. for them to pay you. And if you don't produce that evidence in the manner that you're supposed to, you're not going to get paid. It doesn't mean that anybody's making a decision if you're sick or not. It's that you haven't complied with the necessary criteria to get paid. And it breaks my heart to see how people internalize this as if it's um, some sort of judgment on them when what they need is a hand. They need somebody to assist them to go through this process to uh, interpret. And in some organizations, that help is available, but in many it is not.
1: Yes, that is, that is true. And that's a very good point.
0: Yeah. So in terms of um, looking at psychological safety and people with mental illness, how do you think it differs from psychological safety for the average employee or for an employee who doesn't have a mental illness?
1: How do I, how do I feel having a mental illness is different?
0: how do you feel protecting the psychological safety of employees with a mental illness differs from protecting the psychological safety of all employees?
1: Hmm. Well, there is, uh, there, there are certainly a lot of differences when, when you're talking about somebody who is dealing with a psychological condition versus somebody who is not. So you, you need to sometimes recognize that there's, Different ways that you need to communicate with the person that has a, a psychological disability. Uh, as I use the email example, uh, there's there's also, you know, realizing that depending on what the psychological disability is, you need to be really clear with your instructions. Versus someone else uh, may may take, say, a sarcastic response. Or you know something that you intend as a joke, uh, as you intend it. Somebody that's struggling with a mental illness may not take it as intended because they are they're limited in their capacity due to their mental illness, and so it gets taken out of context. So you need to be very clear when dealing with with somebody that has uh, divulged that they have a mental illness, and. I would also suggest being uh, being very aware of of that person. Pay attention, and uh, as far as how they're how they're acting uh, that particular day, because that'll also tell you how you can communicate with them. If I'm having an episode, I'm pretty good at hiding it, but I'm not perfect. So if you're paying attention to me. You're probably going to figure out that uh, okay, yeah, something's off today. So maybe I need to be a bit more supportive, or yeah, maybe I need to shelve this conversation for today. So if you're if you're a bit more aware of your of your staff and and what they're going through um, in that particular day, you can probably figure out whether they're in a position where they can handle certain things or not.
0: I like what you had said earlier, and it was to, as a leader, to say, I'm really not sure how to best support you right now, and I need you to tell me, you know, so to to state your intention, that your intention is to be supportive, but you know that you're not sure how, um, can clear up a lot of things, because if the employee understands your intention, they're likely to forgive you for mm-hmm. something that doesn't land well, like you say, thinking you're making a joke and that person feeling wounded by it, um, that you can say, oh, you know, that was a really bad um, joke. And I'm sorry about that. And and you will be forgiven. Whereas if you just say, you know, suck it up, cupcake, you need to deal with this. Um, it, it's going to be more of a reaction. Yeah. So yes, um, Matthew, we're getting close to the end of our time. Just wondering if there's other messages that you want to give to the listeners today about accommodation, about psychological safety, about being an advocate.
1: I think first and foremost, the 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 thing to realize is the, the person that comes forward with uh, a and however that looks with a a claim of a psychological illness, you you need to recognize that as employers, that they know best what is going on with them. So as I alluded to earlier, doctor's notes are great. Getting assistance from doctors is great. But if you really want to know what you can do to support this staff member, be open and willing to listen to them because they're gonna tell you what they need uh, best. And that's also what is gonna set you up to be creative to help them out. And for the person that needs that support dealing with a psychological illness, especially if, if, if it's brand new for you, my advice to those people are, the faster you learn to be your own advocate the better it's going to be for you. you. You need to, you need to realize that you need to advocate for yourself because you know how things are affecting you. And and to use myself as an example, uh, if you go online and Google bipolar disorder, it's going to give you the buzzwords of mania, of depression, irritability will be in there. But how I experience those is completely different from how someone else would experience them. So you really need to be an advocate for yourself and explain to your employer, this is, this is what I'm experiencing. And from the employer standpoint, also recognize that um, mental illness differs from person to person. So you have to be very flexible with your approach. Yeah,
0: great advice. Um, and I just want to say there's a free resource called in Supporting Employee Success, and it's on the Workplace Strategy site. And it's specifically so that um, employees can tell employers what they need to be able to do their job. And uh, that's a free resource that could help. And then the Institute for Work and Health is working on uh, a resource that is still in development um, to help employees to really express what it is that they need um, in terms of an accommodation. So I'm glad that more and more of these free resources are there because if you're actually dealing with depression, anxiety, bipolar, in the moment, it's tough to advocate for yourself. Um, You are a trained professional in human resources. So you do have uh, a much higher skill level than the average employee. Um, but it, it, I think your advice to learn to advocate effectively for yourself is very important. Um, that if they can do that, it will make a big difference. So Matthew, I've got uh, one final question for you. And that is for you to describe, um, especially from the perspective of a person with a mental illness, what would a psychological healthy and safe workplace feel like, look like to you?
1: So for me, a psychological healthy workplace for me is as I mentioned earlier. First, first and foremost, is one where I can feel comfortable talking about where I am at that particular day, how I'm feeling that particular day, and have people not judge me. That that is number one. Is is feeling like I can express myself and nobody's going to say, "Oh, he's he's on a, on on a crazy episode again." For instance. But also one for me where people openly are creative about recognizing that there are different things you need to do for a a person that is psychologically ill. So a creative workplace, a supportive workplace, one where some of the other things I've mentioned, one where they're focusing on your strengths and recognizing that, okay, when And this goes hand in hand with me being able to talk about it, recognizing that when I am struggling, how can we take some of this burden and shift it so that we're still getting the value we need and you're feeling valued? Because I feel like that's important that both parties get some kind of value out of the situation. Uh, But for me, yeah, really a supportive workplace that is open, that is willing to listen, that's willing to work with you wherever you are at. And uh, I think that that is becoming, it's becoming more and more of a a possibility in industry. I think we're slowly getting there, but we still have a ways to go.
0: Yeah. Uh, You know, I've been doing work on inclusion and I think about that flexibility and creativity when you're a new immigrant, when you have um a life transition you've gone through a family breakdown or you've added to your family either through adoption or birth or you're dealing with a physical health problem in all those situations the type of workplace you just described would be the type of workplace people would want to be at and as our demographics are shifting as our um, talent pool is shrinking it's going to be more and more important for employers to uh, have this. Matthew, if somebody wanted um, to, to access you, to get your services, to uh, learn more from you, how would they get in touch with you?
1: So I'm, I am just getting started out, so I don't, uh, I don't even have a website yet. But uh, they could certainly reach out to me by email at uh, Matthew at AccommodationAnalyze.com. And uh, that'd be the easiest way to get me or they could contact me by phone at 519-939-8175. And I'd be happy to assist.
0: Thanks. And you're on LinkedIn as well. I am on
1: LinkedIn as well. Yes. Yeah,
0: that's great. So thank you very much for your time, for your wisdom. And uh, I hope that people will subscribe to the podcast to be able to hear the upcoming episode. And thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Marianne. You've been listening to the Psych Health and Safety
0: Canada podcast. To stay up to date with the best content on workplace mental health in North America,
1: subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and join the Flourish DX community at www.flourishdx.com.